welcome once again to a novel evening. As always, I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram and TikTok as at a novel evening podcast. And hello, welcome. Thank you for listening once again. I'm going to apologise. Obviously, autumn has arrived and brought with it germs. So apologies if I sound a little bit strange. Um, we've had a house full of plague. So, but I'm here. I'm here, and I'm excited because for this episode. We're going to get a little festive, we're going to get a little romantic, we're going to get a little festive, and I'm joined by Helen Whitaker to chat all about her newest book, Flying Home for Christmas, the, the urge to sing that, flying home for Christmas, yeah, I'm so sorry, I don't know why I did that, but uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I cannot wait to chat to her all about her inspirations for this book, what it is we all love about Christmas, what it is we love about love, and to find out what she's going to bring to her novel evening. So a huge hello to Helen. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? How are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's my book's out in two weeks, two weeks today, in fact. So it's... I was uh, going to say, so yeah, the time of recording, because when this comes out, we'll kind of be heading into October. We'll be heading into your crazy kind of release period time. How do you feel two weeks before? It's a funny one because you're kind of excited because you've worked really hard for a really long time and I actually literally received my author copies of the book yesterday so it feels like a real book now which sounds really weird when you've been writing a book for ages and editing a book but then you actually see it like a book and I feel like probably no matter how successful you are if you're like some even some very serious literary giant like I don't know Jonathan Franzen or something he probably gets his box of books and he's like hooray my book's here because yeah. it is an exciting moment to see it when it looks like a real book and it feels like a real book yeah. um, but then you're obviously just really nervous because you want it to do well you want people yeah. to read it yeah, it's, <laughs> I imagine it's mixed like you say very exciting but also there is that underlying god I hope people are gonna buy it and like it right exactly yeah so you just have to hope for the best and have that thing where you're like I really enjoyed writing it and I have a book out and that's exciting. So enjoy the little moments rather than expecting like big fireworks to happen. And I was going to ask you, so in your kind of day job, I hasten to say that, but as an editor, you obviously probably very used to deadlines. How yes. do those deadlines compare with that job and the deadlines of writing a book? How do you, and also how do you juggle that? Um, <laughs> I think, well, so for anyone who's not listening, my day job is I am editor of British Airways High Life magazine. Um, so I'm a magazine editor four days a week and I have Fridays off. So tomorrow is my non-working day, which I am always very excited about because it's my day where I get to write my books. Um, I mean, I suppose in terms of deadlines, I'm, I mean, I'm used to giving them to other people now because I'm the editor giving out the deadlines to other people. And obviously with a magazine's production schedule, you have to stick to it. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's obviously more like smaller deadlines constantly, yeah. whereas a book is... A big deadline but I, I do think one of the things I am quite good at is sticking to deadlines and um, sort of hitting a word count because that is my training that's my background yeah. I have said to people before it's no surprise to me that the average length of my chapter is about 1500 to 2000 words because that is the average length of like a feature <laughs> your you brain know, in, in the yes, that. that I've always worked for I'm really used to writing in terms of that word count so I think that probably has massively influenced the type of chapters I write and the kind of length of chapter that I do. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, they're, they're very different in a lot of ways because obviously um, magazines are sort of non-fiction yeah. and um, the magazine I work for at the moment is travel. So it's a lot of people talking about travel in different places, whereas obviously I can make up whatever I like in my books. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Although we're going to mix in a little bit of travel. We're mixing That's that true. in. That was That's a neat segue. True. I hope you're impressed. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um... <laughs> and we're going to skip forward in time a little bit for listeners because we're going festive that's true as yes. well so first off let's kick things off tell us about flying home for christmas give us the rundown on what your book's about so it is a festive themed rom-com it's called flying home for christmas so the clue is a bit in the title um but it starts the day before christmas eve when thea who is one of the main characters is trying to get home from portland in the usa to london where her parents live she's been working over there for six months she's got this job that sounds very swish um and is looking forward to going back to see her family she really misses her family and particularly her nan who is her best friend really um and she gets to the airport and it is absolute chaos because all the flights have been grounded by terrible weather um and so while she's there she's not sure if she's going to get home so it's a 12 hour flight an eight hour time difference so if she can't get on the flight the next the next day which is christmas eve she's not going to be able to get home for christmas day to see her family so when they tell her that she needs to not be in the airport but she needs to come back very very early if the flights start taking off she thinks i'll just get a hotel room but obviously everybody else has had the same idea as well so yeah. she ends up having to book a hotel room that is far 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 above her, her budget and put it on her nan's credit card because that's she hasn't got any money in her bank account um and it turns out it's the last hotel room in the whole place because everywhere else is booked up but when she gets there it's been booked already by somebody else which is a very handsome man called logan um who is an american who's trying to get home to his family on the east coast of america um, oh. and that's where we begin basically oh. so and they have an amazing night together and um sort of a date that is it a date it's not a date because they don't know each other and they have to compromise and share the hotel room and uh, the next day they both manage to get on their flights and they agree to meet up when they're back in Portland after the Christmas holidays uh, but when she gets home something happens and a series of situations make this a will they won't they situation okay okay firstly the first part of this sounds like a nightmare I think I've had repeatedly <laughs> I cannot imagine anything worse than trying to fly or travel at all at any point around the Christmas period. First no, moment. Well, the flights are incredibly expensive and everyone is trying to get somewhere. <laughs> so already you've got high stress levels already straight in there, which we love at the start of a romance. We love a bit of bit of stress and tension. <laughs> yes, definitely. And the sort of the situation was inspired by, I don't know if you remember sort of last year, I think it was sort of maybe Marchish time. Um, there was that day where there was a guy who's got a YouTube channel called Big Jet TV and he became a sort of viral sensation because all the flights at Heathrow couldn't land because of high winds and they were coming in and he was commentating. And I just thought, well, what a great sort of setup for why things can't happen and for these guys to be stuck in an airport, which is already a bit of, as you say, it's a total sort of locked room situation where everybody is already stressed um and how can i make this fun and <laughs> a comedy yeah, situation how can we make and less stress <laughs> and a, and a hotbed of romance how do we make that work yeah and we love a bit of you know force, force proximity a little bit of kind of 
there's only one bed that's a, that's a trope <laughs> that I'm absolutely here for as well um and it helps when the other person is attractive well that's true it's it'd be a bit different if you're trapped in a <laughs> hotel room no matter how luxurious with someone who uh you really didn't want to be trapped in a hotel room with <laughs> And what is it, you know, in terms of romance, what do you think it is that kind of draws people into reading romance novels? Because I would say as well, not that romance is necessarily predictable, but you have a hoped outcome at the end while you're reading a romance. What do you think it is that brings readers back to reading those stories again and again? I think it's how you get there. If that's, you know, that's the kind of thing, like, as you say, I mean, some people will want to read a sort of anti-rom-com where it turns the genre completely on its head and perhaps they don't end up together. But I think most people are picking up a, a romance book for they, you know, the warm and fuzzies that they get at the end when it all finally comes together. But they want the journey to be fun. They want it to be interesting or quirky or hilarious or, uh, you know, situations that they can sort of relate to, but also rail against if they feel like an injustice has been done I think it's like anything they want that mixture of drama and comedy to keep everything going but they want they want that outcome where they're like yes it has the thing that I I think should happen justice has been served in the same way you know you read a, a crime book or a thriller and you want the baddies to be caught at the end that's what you that's what you're hoping is going to happen unless it's a series and obviously then, <laughs> you know. as well there's a comfort in that almost predictability that you know what you're going to get so you, yeah. you know you snuggle in and you know that you're going to get out of this like you say with the warm and fuzzies exactly and I mean you know Christmas movies on Netflix there's a whole Hallmark channel I think that is there completely is. dedicated to you know they film them all year round in these sort of sets that are obviously made to look uh, snowy and festive so yeah and I think particularly in tumultuous times shall we say people they want to know what's going to happen they want a bit of a level of control and the thing that you know the outcome is going to be the thing that they want and expect but the journey to get there is a romp obviously you said a little bit about your inspirations and where you kind of got this idea from in terms of the flights did you always know it was going to be based around Christmas um yeah my last book Single in the Snow was set in a ski resort and that was sort of based around Christmas and when I talked to my agent, my publisher, I got a two book deal from um, from that. And this is the second one in the deal. So it was always discussed that it would be another festive themed yeah. rom-com. So that was kind of already decided for me. But I think I had this idea when they bought the first book. I had this idea for the second one and the sort of the hook at the beginning, which they liked that that whole um, sort of setup for it. So that's we went from there. I mean, there was a point where I was like, yes, there's a really good hook. Now it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I got the first bit down. Yeah, that's, that's like the first three chapters. Like, what's going to happen now? <laughs> so I think that's the thing when you, like a lot of, particularly romantic comedies, they the setup is a big, a big yeah. thing. You've got to set the stage. You've got to have either the moment where they see each other and they hate each other or, you know, they keep missing each other or something like that. So you can have the setup, but yeah, you've got to have... A lot of plot in between to make sure that it keeps people interested so hopefully I've done that and you've got to keep them apart as well a bit you've got to have that time but also not over egg it because personally for me I want a couple to be kept apart for like almost like the optimum amount of time because mm-hmm. once it's there apart too much I'm like my god just get together already like please yes. just but I like with your book they're forced into that because you've got the distance they're forced yes. to be apart which I really enjoy 
I really like that. And again, you know, I think Christmas as well, there's something about setting a book at Christmas time because Christmas is a lovely time, right? We all, I imagine most of us love Christmas, but when it comes to Christmas and families and travel, going back home, Mm -hmm. that must open up the doors for some drama right yes. I think everyone everyone has their dramas <laughs> at home and again did you always kind of know that you were going to input that was that was kind of intentional yeah I think it's one of the compliments I get about my books the most I would say and it's quite a backhanded compliment but I will take it because I'll take any compliments quite frankly um is that they are deeper than perhaps the initial plot setup implies um I think because a lot of my books have got um, you know sort of more going on than just the romance like the subplots yeah. around them so um, for this one there's like an awful ex-boyfriend that has completely coloured Thea's you know relationships from there on in it's kind of ruined her self-esteem um, we've got the family that she's really really close to and she's moved away but she wants to you know she really misses her family but she also wants to go and do her own thing and particularly her relationship with her beloved Nan who is sort of East End, no nonsense, absolutely adores Tom Hardy, um, Nan who doesn't mince her words, um, but she's getting older and it's the sort of relationship between, um, you know, not wanting to miss anything with her, but obviously being encouraged to live her own life and all that sort of thing. And then Logan, the male protagonist has got his own stuff going on with his family where he's got stuff to prove and he's got a bit of a tricky relationship with his parents in some ways. And then the working life stuff as well, where there's a lot of tension, where she's trying to prove herself at work. She's got an incredibly mean boss who I think is really mean, but also really fun because she's so mean. Um, and, you know, sort of all the, the colleagues and everything like that. So I feel like there's it's sort of a holistic approach to someone's life that I think I mean, that's the other thing when I read romance books is I don't you want. The romance but that can't be all there is to them yeah. because then you start to read it and particularly as a woman you're like oh come on she's like this is all she's bothered about yeah. because no one's only bothered about getting a man there's yeah. you know there's other stuff going there's also other stuff that's going on in your life that stresses you out or threatens to derail your entire existence so I like to bring in a bit of everything and sort of and like you say Christmas as well like family's forced proximity that sort of really shows you who people are when you're stuck with them over several bank holidays where there's nowhere else to go <laughs> there's no escape <laughs> there is nowhere to go at the royal family on TV. To sit outside <laughs> and that's the thing as well because i think it's such a minefield because also nobody wants to be the one to spoil christmas but there's always i mean when my, i love my parents and when they come for christmas it's great but there's always like a bicker and no one wants to continue the bicker so you, there's always this like simmering like you need to have a bit of a row the row is there, but it's Christmas. So you can't, so you kind of just aggressively stuff celebrations in because nobody wants to ruin it. And I love what you just said as well about, you know, with Thea in it, not wanting to miss things. But obviously she's living on the other side of the world. And again, I think that's a really interesting plot point. I, I lived abroad when I was 16, away from my family. Part of me loved it. Incredible experience. But part of me also was so homesick. And I think that's, mm -hmm. and again, if you're going to have a long distance relationship with anybody, that's the other thing is, you know, your family are here. It's, it's almost like your heart is split into two, right? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, yeah, it's like such an amazing experience for her to be living in America, but she also feels very conflicted about her family back home. Um, but obviously when she meets an incredibly hot American in America, well, 
maybe makes it more appealing to go back there for Christmas. <laughs> that would probably sell it. For me. Do you know, Pedro Pascal was like, we're going to get married, but you have to live in America. I think I could deal with the homesickness. <laughs> well, exactly. I think I'd survive. <laughs> and it helps to have the money that you can travel. Well, that's, I mean, that's always good as well if you've got a bit of, bit of cash, which she hasn't because she has to put a hotel room on her Nan's credit card. But Logan seems very, very comfortable within the environs of a five-star hotel. Ooh, so we have a little class it, difference as well. Yes. We have a little difference in financial background. I like that as well. So yes, yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot going on in the in, in this book. So um yes, hopefully people will um love the sort of festive, romantic, conflicting situations. A little messy, little messy festive rom com. I like yeah. that. <laughs> I enjoy a little mess because also real life is messy. And that's the thing with rom-coms as well. Or actually any book when things are too like neat. Yeah. You know, it's that thing you're reading and it. you can't relate. And I think the p- thing people love about especially romance is when you can imagine yourself in what seems like a absurd situation, you know, kind of a love at first sight or a false proximity or whatever. When you can imagine yourself there, that's the appeal, right? Yeah, exactly. So yes, sort of heightened states of a situation that perhaps we could all imagine being in at some point. Particularly and you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, I can relate to the broke part <laughs> so strongly. And you mentioned you, know, you had a two big deal. You've got kind of two festive reads. So what comes next for you? Because you've got your two festive snowy reads. So where do you go now? Well, so yeah, so this is the second book in my contract. So I do not know if I will get another contract after this, but so we'll see. Um, but I am I am writing another rom-com, which is uh, another, it is sort of set over Christmas as well. Um, so I've been working on that for a while. And so we'll see if I, if and when I finish that one and see what happens with that. But yeah, that's another one um, set sort of abroad. I like locations, as you can tell. My last book was set in Whistler in Canada. This one is set in Portland in America um and yeah so I I mean I think that's probably where my day job sort of bleeds into my I was gonna life. say <laughs> yeah and do you get to travel a lot is that something you get to do um a bit I would not as much as the people who I commissioned to write for the magazine because yep. they're all out in the field all the time <laughs> they're the ones pitching me the stories and I read their amazing um travel stories and sit behind my desk and edit them and put them in the magazine but I do I do get to travel sometimes and where well. would your it, obviously apart from being at home where would you love to spend Christmas hmm that's a good question um until quite recently um before both my parents passed away we spent a lot my parents were in Derbyshire and I'm in London now and have been yeah. for a long time um we spent a lot of time driving up and down the M1 to go yeah. and see them so um it's quite nice to spend Christmas here and start our own sort of traditions when you've spent yeah. a lot of time doing that. Saying that, uh, my husband can't ski or snowboard, but I would. it would be nice to go to the mountains somewhere for Christmas one year. I don't know. I don't know if I'd feel strange. I have spent Christmas abroad. I spent one Christmas in Canada when I after I finished university. Yeah. And I spent one Christmas in Los Angeles when I lived there for a while. Wow. In the 20s. Yeah. Um, a very so surreal I to... Christmas, I would imagine. In yeah, Los it, was, it yeah. was still warm and we had friends over and they don't have Christmas crackers in um, in North America. So that's weird. Like the yeah, so I had, like... I lived in Canada, I lived in Calgary um, and we had Christmas out there and Christmas dinner is a very different beast. Mm. Quite an upsetting beast, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, we kind of still did turkey and everything, but um, f- 
because everyone goes all in for Thanksgiving. I think yes. they don't, it's not such a big deal in in America, the Christmas no. day and Christmas dinner, I think, because they've done it all before, like a few weeks before. Yeah, and my mum was horrified because they had mashed potatoes with their turkey for their <laughs> Christmas dinner. And the pure, so we had Thanksgiving, which we'd never done before. And again, mashed potatoes. I'm like, oh, Thanksgiving, mashed potatoes. And somebody bought what we thought was a dessert. It was very pink. Mm. a blancmange looking stuff which one said oh it's dessert i'll put it in the fridge and the lady who bought it said no no it's to go it's it's like a raspberry and banana thing to go with your turkey Ooh, controversial obviously being british you can't be like Bleh. your mum's like oh, oh that sounds lovely we're just not gonna touch that but then when yeah when we had christmas dinner my mum was like well what what do you use for your roast potatoes and they were sort of just looking like we don't we don't do that and mum was like well pigs in blankets and they were like what is that and I realised that I think as, you know, the British Christmas dinner is really of its own thing. That's what yeah. we do. We do Christmas, like you say, we've got the crackers with the naff gifts inside and the, the hats that split because they're not designed for adult heads. <laughs> no, it's not a... <laughs> at all. I, I like a starter for my Christmas dinner, I have to say. Yeah. I'll, have a, I'll have a prawn cocktail. I was going to say prawn cocktail yeah. is the classic, isn't it? So... Yeah, and I will, you know, I usually buy jar made Mary Rose because I don't have yeah. time in my life for that. And then I love a Vionetta for pudding. Well, Vionetta's very posh. It is, you it is it for, posh. You save it for a special occasion like Christmas dinner. That's the only time you can get a Vionetta as well. I feel like they trot them out at Christmas, like here's the Vionetta. But yeah, I feel like in North America, Christmas is, I love the decorations in Canada. Oh. They take decorating their houses so seriously. And obviously mm. you've got the snow, so it looks stunning. And that's the one thing here. I just wish if we could just transplant the snow. Yes, that's true. And actually in Los Angeles, a lot of people who weren't uh, Christian religious, they would go to the cinema on Christmas Day. Really? Cinema, yeah, cinema, cinemas. Like, it wouldn't be like a bank holiday, everything is shut down. Oh, again, I can't even imagine... <laughs> I'm like, they went somewhere that wasn't just like a pub on Christmas yeah, Day. It wasn't about in your own ha people went places. That's so bizarre to me. And I, I can't imagine like a sunny, and I've had friends who've done things like go to Mexico for Christmas and or go to Hawaii for Christmas. And I can't, I just can't imagine beaches at Christmas. I know they exist. Yeah. I know they're out there. <laughs> or like Australia. I have a family in Australia and they have like a Christmas Day barbecue. Yeah. You need the gloom. You need the, the Christmas <laughs> day. The dark, I need the press TV. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need it to be grey. Festive punch up. And there we go. Oh my goodness. Well, look, I need to. I've just realised as well. Bear with me one second because I have to switch my charger on, which means in a moment. There we go. Apologies. We had a. Um, there was a spider in the area, so that's why I hadn't turned it on, and I've just realised now that I did not do that. So I will chop this out. So I'm wondering if for your novel evening, I kind of wonder if we were going to go a little festive, but I wasn't sure. No, we're not actually. Oh, um, okay. No, um, we are going to go abroad to start off with, though, um, nice. and then we're going to come back to London. So maybe that is kind of in keeping with the book that we're going to be. Oh, we've got. I like it. Um, us and uk so uh do you want me to launch into to what do it happening? let's we start off with where are we going so i like the fact we've got two settings that's already very we've exciting got two, loca two locations so basically everyone on my list is um someone i really admire but would also be so intimidated by meeting that i feel like we need something to bond us together so that they'll okay. all be chatty 
And the best way for me to feel like that you have a shared experience that you're all, it loosens you all up yep. is I thought we were going to go to a theme park together. So I thought we'd all go to Dollywood <laughs> to start off with. I was a little nervous because I do not like roller coasters. I uh, <laughs> used to love them. And then one day I think we went on Colossus and I basically had a panic attack and I was like, oh I love God. roller coasters. And then I went on it and was like, basically like no nah, the whole way round but Dollywood <laughs> yeah oh, I've never been have you no, been to no you know okay so this would be I've, a new experience no so I've, I have been to um Tennessee where it is but the, nice. when I was there it wasn't open so I didn't actually get to go to Dollywood but I both love theme parks and roller coasters and I love Dolly Parton who is going to come with us she's one of our literary figures so I thought yeah. well let's go to yes. Dollywood because I thought a she was a really good person that would actually sort of, she'd be so friendly and um, sort of, you know, conjive off to everybody to meet together that she actually would be the person who bonds us all together, even these slightly yep. scary literary types. Um, I just think she's always full of great anecdotes and very approachable. Oh, I love her. Yeah, so I, I thought we'd go to her theme park because um, why not? The guided tour. Big roller coasters. Yeah. And once we all come off the roller coaster together, you're all a bit like, ooh, which I think I'll be throwing all... up in a bin. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go on the biggest roller coasters. We'll go on one that gives us a little bit of a sort of adrenaline boost, but not something that makes us all terrified. Nothing too terrifying. And I love, obviously, Dolly Partner does amazing work with like promoting books for children. Well, what I thought she was she fits into the literary theme because well she obviously has released books herself I think she's got one coming out in November that's all about her style which oh. looks amazing um but aside from books that she's been involved in writing herself she gives out so many books every year through her literary charity that I just think she is a figurehead of good works when it comes to reading and children so she is definitely on board for the whole shebang <laughs> I want to ask her, so I don't know if you've heard about the theories about Dolly Parton's hidden tattoos. Oh, no, I have so not. There's a theory on the internet that she is covered in tattoos. Oh. They're all very, and she wears very high-necked kind of blouse. I know she's mm. got kind of there, but they, you never see anything over the shoulder. She never wears anything sleeveless. There's been kind of rumoured pictures of like butterflies on her arm pictures people think they've taken of like butterflies hidden so apparently she's covered in butterfly tattoos and i would like to know if that's true see i love a conspiracy theory when it's a fun one and it's not like evil (laughs) like when it's one that's just like no harm is done to anyone with this exactly i love the idea of her having and i think she's got a cheeky one between the boobs that's for her husband and i i know i'm like i'm and i've seen the photos and some of them i think that could just be a, a blotch. That could just be, but some of them I think are very convincing. So oh, it'd be interesting well, if we could convince her. Well, that's the icebreaker. That's the icebreaker we chat. We get, we come off the, the log flume or whatever we've been on and then we uh, <laughs> go in. Dolly, quick question. <laughs> There's a rumour going around and then she can talk us through the story of them all if she does have tattoos. Yeah, if she has them. Okay, so Dolly's going to give us the guided tour. Who's going to yeah. arrive next to Dollywood? Um... So next, who's coming next? So the next person on my list is David Sedaris. Okay. So I love David Sedaris as well. Um, I love his essays. I love how snarky he is. I love how weird his stories are. I love how he writes about his family who are eccentric and bonkers. Um, and I love I love listening to the audiobooks that he does because him reading them, I think I feel like that's almost the way you should listen, yeah, or read David Sedaris's work. Um, I've been to see him live as well, reading oh, wow. from 
um, his work. And, you know, I just think he's one of those people that's just full of amazing stories. Everyone on my list is someone who I basically, I won't say a word all night and I just want to listen to them tell me things <laughs> either about their writing or just read from their writing. And I just think he's one of those people who I just think he'd be a great conversationist and he would just be full of anecdotes and stories and would, you know, perhaps not get on so well with some of the other people on the list, but maybe that would make for an interesting night. So, <laughs> I mean, we like a little drama. We've established we like a little mess, just a little bit, yes. a little bit of drama. Okay, okay. How do you think he's going to fare at Dollywood? I'm not sure we want to go on the, I'm not sure anyone on this list is going to want to go on the roller coaster. I think they're all going to hate me. But stage two of the uh, the evening is after we've gone on the roller coasters, which that's the bit that I say loosens us all up so that we've all got a yeah. sort of, bit more of a level to talk to each other is then we're going to come back to London and we're going to go to a restaurant called Balthazar in Covent Garden. I have heard of this. I've not yes. been, but I have heard. Oh. Yes. So I've been, it's a French brasserie. It's a very nice restaurant. It's very sort of, not like cool as in edgy cool, but it's just one of those like cool to hang out. I've been there for meals with friends of mine that I used to work at Glamour magazine with. And every time we meet up, we have a really gossipy wine ridden evening where you feel like you've put the world to rights and you sit around these tables with each other so I feel like it's a good location I've always had a good time there put it that way so I'd like to go here with these people and have a good time and a gossip I night. feel like we're and... dangling it as a bit of a carrot as well like yes, if you just exactly. come on the log flumes there's a really <laughs> yes. fantastic meal coming after that we're going to go to a nice restaurant you'll all be able to have a glass of wine and we'll put I'm picturing you know the, when they take the photo when you're on the flume or the roller coaster <laughs> yes. at the end of this I'd love to know what that photo would look I'd be green so I'd yeah. just be terrified but I'd love to know what this photo is going to look like at the end of I this. I mean that would be a photograph that I would treasure if all of these literary figures are literally with their hands in the air going down like the big loop on a, on a roller coaster screaming. Oh my <laughs> I mean, goodness I, I love don't think this. anybody here that's under the age of like 60 so I'm not sure they'd even be up for a, a roller coaster what with you know like potential back problems <laughs> like problems heart problems all the things they warn you about on that sign before you get on if you yeah if you're pregnant if you have a heart problem if you're of nervous disposition <laughs> exactly well, you, never know, you know you only live once that's true I don't that's... know if any of your people are returning from the ether so, you know we have had people before come back so they that's might be true. really down for it that's true that's true when you have left your corporeal form then you don't worry so much about wrenching your neck whilst you're going exactly <laughs> okay dolly is with us you've got david with us who's going to be next uh margaret atwood is coming with us as well again would she want to Can't see margaret on a log flume but who knows we can ask her she's a quite a fierce woman I, I think if everyone else was doing it i don't think margaret would be the one left standing she might be game for it. She might be game. We don't know. We'll see. But again, I just love her writing. Uh, I love listening to interviews with her. I you know, follow her on social media, read her articles. Always think she's got interesting things to say. I love the fact that her books are so different. Yeah. That, like You never know what she's going to write next. Obviously, there's ones that everyone's heard of, The Handmaid's Tale and Alias Grace that have been made into TV shows. She's won the Booker Prize. But like she goes from like a story about toxic female friendship to a dystopian yeah. trilogy and then back to you know some personal essays about her life and you know it's incredible and they're all amazing <laughs> it's yeah, like how it's like jack of all trades isn't she she can really turn her hand to pretty much anything i'd say exactly and it's always something that is not just within a particular genre but a really interesting take on a particular genre so 
um yeah she's just you know and you always know it's hers I think even like you say even though her book's so different you know it's her writing which I think takes something really special to be able to tackle all those genres and still think that's Margaret Atwood yeah exactly um I would read anything she wrote essentially you've gone bold so far I'm gonna give you that this is a bold group already so I'm intrigued gonna come yeah this is (laughs) you can see why I'm not gonna say anything like I feel like all these people would be like oh my god who is this idiot that is with us like this wise group of literary you've summoned (laughs) us to Dollywood yeah and you you made us go to Dollywood for a start which like what was that but they Um, couldn't say anything because Dolly herself is there so they could only really be I'm not about to think there'd be anything but but when you've got Dolly herself well maybe Margaret Atwood is a huge Dolly fan you might make her whole day everyone is a dolly and plus that's kind of my power move that they have to do it because dolly's there and it's uh <laughs> if dolly doesn't sing at balthazar's i'll be livid well this is the hope it's going to be the full night of entertainment isn't it yeah, it is. It um is who else have we got next so next we've got nancy mitford another <laughs> wit <laughs> um would nancy mitford get on a roller coaster oh no she would think this was very non-you it would be a terrible, terrible de classe thing to do. I'm sure yeah. it would be in the list of. Um, but but I mean, she's been passed for a long time, so maybe yes. she's going to have a bit of a YOLO moment and just think, <laughs> "No one I know is around. I've never done this before. Let's try this you know, newfangled contraption. Let's do this." Yeah. I mean, she might not know what it is. She might she probably doesn't know what a theme. You could just send, just send her to sit in there and then just launch her at <laughs> ninety miles an hour. Down, it'll go. Um, but again. Um, I love Nancy Mitford. I love her writing. I love kind of I've read loads of stuff about all the sisters, all the letters to each other. I just love their letters. Their family was so eccentric. Um, yeah, kind of me and my friends were always a bit obsessed with Nancy and Decker, uh, who was one of the other sisters, who she was the very left wing one. Uh, the, oh, this Here we come to the people who aren't invited. So I would be happy to have some of the Mitfords there, but I would not invite Diana Mitford or Unity Mitford, who were both, um, well, one of them was rumoured to be in love with Hitler and the other one was in prison during the Second World War for being a fascist. So they're not coming. They, <laughs> the they're rest of them, not welcome. No, they're not welcome. Don't want, don't want any of that. Uh, but the rest of the Mitfords can come and spar with each other and tell entertaining stories and probably tell me that I'm terribly common, but in such a delightful way that I'd find it funny rather than insulting. And I think they'd egg each other on at Dollywood. I think there'd be a bit of rivalry as to who would dare to do it and who would be bold enough to, to do it. It'd be go. quite shocking. To, you I know. feel like everyone who's come in, at least it would be some material for them. David Sedaris could probably get a really good essay out of, uh, out of the whole experience. That's very um, true. Nancy Dolly would write an amazing material. song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or so, ask us to never come back. One of the two. One of the two. Maybe we get annual passes to the to Dollywood. Um, and so then we come to Judy Bloom. She's coming too. And I feel like she would be another person that would make me feel more at ease, a bit like Dolly, yes. because obviously she is the queen of uh, tween and teen problems. So if you can't feel Super good... Fudge was like my Bible. Oh, God. I mean, I was absolutely obsessed with Judy's books when I was growing up. Tiger Eyes was my favourite. Ah. Um, but yes, I mean, all of them. But I also think if you can't feel good about yourself around Judy Bloom, then um, when can you? Because she's incredible. Did you see the documentary about her? No. Oh, there's one on... Um, I think it's Netflix. I'm not entirely what it, sure what it's called. Maybe it's just called 
Judy. Um, but it was just about her life. And obviously in the realm of, of these days with books being banned and like her entire history and just her career and how she started off. And um, she's got this entire archive that's just full of letters that kids have sent her. Wow. And they spoke, they actually spoke to some of the kids. Some kids used to write to her really regularly about their lives. And she kept in touch with some of them and wrote back to a lot of them. Um, oh. And it, yeah, I mean, she just seems like the exact kind of person that you want Judy Bloom to be. Yeah. Basically. Oh my goodness. Okay. It that took a swerve though. I feel from where we were at, that yeah. kind of brought it around to the warm and fuzzies. Is that everybody who's coming? No, there's one more person. We're taking Ooh. it right back into the gossip oh. zone. Um so I thought again, just to have someone slightly more contemporary in the sort of snark front, I thought we'd get Tina Brown to come as well, who's the okay. former editor of Vanity Fair, who wrote um the Vanity Fair diaries. And I just thought she would just be full of incredible gossip. So if there was a lull in conversation, then she would just, you know, wheel out one of these amazing anecdotes about, you know, Demi Moore um, on the cover of Vanity Fair when she posed naked with her pregnant belly bump and the story behind the whole thing. I wonder if she's come across Dolly before. Oh, I'm sure she has. Although I think Dolly's one of those people who she doesn't seem to mix in like celebrity circles. She sort of does her own thing, I think. Like everyone. I thought she goes home. I feel, like, yeah. I feel like for Dolly, she almost has like a job and she finishes her job, she goes home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I thought we'd, I mean, my background is in magazines. So I shamelessly love a bit of gossip about the yeah. celebrity world. So I think Tina Brown would come and bring bring the goods for us all to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, the closest I've ever come to you know, the Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> I always thought I really want to work in a magazine. And I think I watched Devil Wears Prada when I was like 15 and was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm cut out for that. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know if I could deal with, you know, high fashion. I just don't think I could get up there. And I used to buy Vogue when I was like 40. I trot into like W.H. Smith and buy Vogue at 14. I don't know who I thought I was. But like I'd walk around with, you know, looking at all these like £3,000 handbags. Like one day I will have this. And I remember <laughs> watching that and thinking, that actually looks terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I worked for Glamour, which was Condé Nast magazine, which is... Also, I loved thing. Glamour. I'm going to put this out there. <laughs> My heart broke the day Glamour no longer came in its little tiny handbag sized. Useful, and I used to buy Glamour religiously. I loved it. Me too. When it launched, that was that was the magazine I absolutely loved. And when I eventually worked there, it was like my dream job come true. So yes, I loved that job. I love. I'm still in touch with so many people that I used to work with there that we all still remember the good old days. Um, But yeah, that was a Condé Nast company. So, but it wasn't quite like. The Devil Wears Prada. We were, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have any fi- high fashion clothes, put it that way. But I mean, there were there were lots of fashiony people there. I mean, I didn't work in the fashion department, to be fair. So that wouldn't be my. You didn't have a Stanley Tucci gifting you Chanel boots so you could just meet your boyfriend. <laughs> no, I wish. No, uh, I worked in the entertainment department. So we were more uh, going to see film screenings than free handbag side of things. But uh, I'm a yeah, film I'm- student, so I actually think I'd prefer that. Oh yeah, it was brilliant. Especially when you get to see things obviously before they come out in a nice, you know, yeah. you go to way Soho more Square. fun. I just trashed the boots. Painting <laughs> in Devon, where would I wear Chanel boots? Well, that's true. Uh, but there were some, there were some quite fashion stories that would come out of Condé Nast mm. as a whole. So, oh, I bet, I bet there's some juicy, and that's why I would, I want the gossip. I thought that's what she, Tina's going to bring the goss. That's what we yeah, need. Yeah, exactly. She's going to bring the the stories as well and the kind of. 
Ooh, especially if we have a couple of wines of Balthazar's as well. We might get something oh, really juicy. Of course. And then, you know, everyone, I feel like everyone would be sort of duking it out to have the best anecdotes. And I feel like that would be a really great evening to eavesdrop on, basically. Just everyone would have really it. amazing stories. Everyone's really well connected. Um, and I would just sit mute and listen to them all. Just hear what they had to say. Now, we've touched on a couple of people who aren't welcome. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody else that you don't want to show up apart from the two Mit- the Mitford sisters? <laughs> The black sheep. Um, I mean, no, as long as no one's, no bad vibes, just good vibes. I, I think that's, say. do you know what, if you're with Dolly, how can you have anything but good vibes with Dolly? And Dolly was, well, she would brook no nonsense anyway from anybody, I don't think. Maybe we'd just have to station someone, a sort of a security guard sort of near the table to stop people coming over for selfies i think that would be the thing that would interrupt the evening the most is just lots of members of the public wanting to be photographed i feel like we'd have bars to ourselves oh right yeah oh that's a good idea yeah let's do that let's let's i think we can i think feel like we'd have i've always wanted to go to like either theme park if i'm honest i love people but i don't like people in public places <laughs> i would love i've always been like god i'd love to just book a cinema for myself or a theme oh, yeah. park for myself it would probably be a bit lonely and you'd lose the atmosphere, but the idea of not queuing is very appealing. Oh, in a theme park, especially. Yeah, I went there with my, I went to Chessington World of Adventures a couple of weeks ago with my husband and my seven-year-old. And obviously having to queue up for 45 minutes to get on the vampire ride was Seven-year-olds. akin to, you know, ruining his life. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would ruin my life. And I don't even have the excuse of being seven. I just really loathe waiting. I have no patience. <laughs> I'm the worst um, parent because I'm always like, have more patience. You don't. You need to be patient. I cannot wait more than five minutes for something, and I'm out. Oh my god, what's the hold up here? Yes. <laughs> uh, so you're absolutely right, and especially we're with people who would be have the resource to be able to book out an entire theme park or a restaurant. I'm obviously thinking too, thinking too small. Think like a. Think Dolly I owns it. Surely Dolly, Dolly can give the word. Exactly. I mean, you know, the day I went there, it was closed. Maybe it was booked out for a novel evening. Maybe. Maybe Dolly was hosting some literary stars. Well, I, <laughs> I genuinely love this. I think it's so much fun. Um, and uh, not a combination I would have necessarily thought up in my head. So kudos. I, I, I'm one for getting a lot of disparate people together and being like, this will be fun. So maybe this is the What's ultimate happen? <laughs> yeah, you basically the equivalent having like gasoline and a match and just saying, let's just see. Yeah, exactly. And like I say, what an amazing picture of uh, in action on the roller coaster that is like one for the ages, no? I feel like the Mitphysicists would not be smiling. <laughs> Don't know if anyone would be smiling except for me. <laughs> You'd be overjoyed at the front as well. You'd be the picture of joy. And then there'd just be all these horrified faces in the background. Dolly would have fun. Dolly would be smiling. We'd be on a full row of the pirate ship and you could see everyone's (laughs) face. You'd have like your poncho on if it's raining as well. Everyone in there likes these three ponchos. (laughs) I love it. And look, before I let you go, um, I need to know if you're reading anything at the moment. Yes. So um, in addition to my regular day job and my book writing sideline um i also do book reviews for grazia magazine wow as a freelance. so i what do get to you read- do yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm very lazy at housework and <laughs> you're entitled to be actually i think when you do that much you're entitled to be lazy with housework um 
but yeah, so there's one book that is already out, but there's one book that's not out yet that I've read mm. for Grazia. So the one, the book that's out um, is The Half Moon by Mary Beth Keane. I don't know if you've read that one so far. I have not. Tell me more. Um, so it's set in sort of upstate New York, small town, uh, a guy who runs a bar and his wife who have basically separated and over the course of this first night there's like a terrible storm although uh, just think, thinking about that now that's what it's got in common with the beginning of my book um but um yeah there's a big storm and lots of things happen and you sort of learn through both of their points of view what's happened with their relationship and essentially it's um they've been trying to have kids for a long long time and it's not worked out they've sort of reached well one of them thinks it's the end of the road I, we need to mourn for this and we need to but we need to move on ultimately and the other person wants to keep trying and that's what ultimately drove a wedge between them and it's sort of it's just so brilliantly done it's so um, the story is obviously very relatable in a lot of ways the situation is relatable but you feel for both of them so much like you see both of their points of view the person who wants to sort of salvage what they can and try and move forward and the person who is you know really wants to keep trying to have children because that's been a dream of hers for such a long time and it's just you know it moves between the two things but there's lots of plot points that happen the guy owns a bar there's a lot of stuff to do with the bar that is going on sort of he's in debt it's not doing well so it's kind of this whole sort of messy life thing but just so brilliantly rendered by her it's just a great emotional story basically um so i love that and then the one that is not going to be out until november but i absolutely love this author and i loved this book when i read it it's called the future by naomi alderman so Ooh, she wrote the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrote the, she wrote the power which was made into a tv series and yeah. she is actually i think she is a sort of protege of margaret atwood i think she's one of her that would make a lot of sense yeah i think margaret atwood was sort of her mentor um, but yeah, so she wrote The Power, which was made into a really good TV show, but that was a brilliant book. And this is called The Future, and it is set in the sort of near future, although you're never really told when it is, so it's kind of now, where pretty much everything is run by three tech billionaires who have all of the means at their disposal to make the world a better place, but they're not going to, um, yeah. because they've already got their own sort of yeah. nuclear bunkers sorted. They'll be all right. They've put loads of money into their own survival so they kind of don't really do anything to stop the Helena Hancock trajectory the world is on. Um, but someone close to each of them um, has other ideas and they think if they can just make the right moves and band together with the other people, they can change the future. And so it's, it's, it's all about that. But it's also just amazingly done in terms of talking about tech, um, money, how, you know, it all works, how the internet works, how being online works in the future, like all those things that you just think, gosh, where does, where does this come from? But probably someone somewhere is doing all of this stuff. Yeah, it sounds scary. Like, yeah, where we yeah. could end up. I think yeah. that, and that's the thing, Margaret Atwood's books with Naomi Alderman's books is they touch so close to home. Yeah, exactly. And I love dystopia, I love zombies, don't get me wrong, I'm absolutely, but again, you always feel like it's just out of arm's reach. That will never mm -hmm. happen. The Last of Us kind of went, because obviously they've had a thing recently with a fungus that's infected somebody and I did yeah. not enjoy that. Yeah, I was like, no, no, that's that's fiction. But when you read those books that just touch just that bit close to home that you can imagine them, they are truly terrifying, I think. Exactly. It's stuff that is not so far 
out yeah. of reach that you can't imagine it happening it's it's with a few steps away but yeah i i really like dystopian books as well yeah. and i also like a big emotional you know crusher so i thought I'd, i don't I'd know about you but as a parent as well i read them very differently than when i used to write read them when i was younger as well i think i kind of digest them as like you know i'm yeah. young that will never happen now i'm like oh god <laughs> it doesn't happen to me it's gonna happen to him and oh my god my grandchildren <laughs> exactly um so yes so i have read both of those recently i would highly recommend them so one, one i've written both of them down as well <laughs> <laughs> thank you for adding to my humongous to be red pile <laughs> they sound great oh i'm glad I'm, I'm not the only one i mean as a book reviewer i do get sent books obviously for the podcast but i can imagine you're just inundated as well I imagine you get so many books yeah i do get a lot actually but um I really like reading, so I'm never going to complain about having too many books to read. You can never. I, I'm a true believer, and I tell this to my children all the time, who have also have tons of books. You can never own too many books. No, because you can always get to them. You can always get to them in the end. That's the thing. Exactly. It's like they'll, and they'll still there's a cost crisis. It's insulation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Our houses. Everyone's laughing at the bookworms, but our houses are very warm. Yeah, and you know it soundproofs your podcasting room for you as well. I see. I'm going to mention that to my husband about building a room surrounded with books just for that. That's an excellent point. And look, thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. Oh, bear with me. My computer's doing something very odd. There we go. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Novel Evening. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Please remember to go over and rate, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on Instagram at A Novel Evening Podcast and over on TikTok under the same name and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.